Yeah, I still remember looking out the window in Bolivia as we like landed in Cochabamba. Like, so we had already been to La Paz or whatever. We landed, we landed at night, didn't we? Did we land at night or did we land during? No, we didn't. Morning, no, we, we flew more early morning. Early morning, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we landed in La Paz and, and I remember them being like, you know, if you ever want to work for the CIA, don't have this mate de coca. And everybody's like, give me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have two. <laughs> anyway, I remember looking out the window and being and seeing the um, Cholitas and like thinking to myself, I'm going to stay here a long time. Hi, I'm Jason Phillips. And I'm Samir Saluja, and welcome to the Bolivia 12 podcast. We served in the Peace Corps from 1995 to 1997 in Bolivia. Specifically, our group's name was Bolivia 12, as in the 12th group of volunteers assigned to work in the country of Bolivia after the program returned in the early 90s. Our guests will feature inputs from many of our fellow Bolivia 12 return Peace Corps volunteers. Two and a half decades after our close of service, we are seeking the perspectives of our fellow Peace Corps volunteers on a wide range of topics and reflecting on our shared experiences. Welcome to the Bolivia 12 podcast. In this episode, we spoke with our good friend and fellow Bolivia 12er, Alicia Gray London, who is a volunteer in the city of Saavedra, Bolivia, province of Santa Cruz from 1995 to 1998. We spoke with Alicia in late June while she was just getting ready to drive cross country in an RV with her two kids and were blown away by her storytelling and her exciting life post Peace Corps. We also got a chance to learn about her current pursuit as a writer of Bolivian fiction. In our time spent with Alicia, we got a chance to reconnect and learn about her fascinating exploits in international emergency aid in places like Banda Aceh after the tsunami of 2005 and Honduras after Hurricane Mitch, as well as reflecting on her stints around the world in international development. In all of these experiences, we were amazed at Alicia's continuous drive for adventure, ongoing commitment to serving others, and the values she places on the cross-cultural connections. So let's listen in. Vamos pues. Welcome, everybody. Samir Saluja here with uh, Jason Phillips. Hi, Jason. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Give me a beer, Jason. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too much beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we had a... We had we're we're going to have to have a separate episode just about our fascination with the jerky boys while we're in the <laughs> we, 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 we don't want to bore everybody should. with that right now. <laughs> we probably should. Oh, man. I, just speaking about that really quickly, I just... You jerky boys... Uh, to those albums i don't even know if they've aged well they probably haven't they're probably no, like politically incorrect it's crazy but <laughs> oh, yeah i just remember being in the back of trucks uh listening to those cassette tapes by myself cracking up with bolivians wondering what is this kid laughing about <laughs> so, Can you I imagine between... trying to explain it <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible saw rosenberg Oh, yeah. I mean, see, is it, you know, he makes fun of these, uh, he does these prank calls and these different voices. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. man. Well, <laughs> hey, so this episode, we had, I guess it turned out we had a really, like, fortunate opportunity to spend time with Alicia. 
Today, we're going to talk about our interview with Alicia London, formerly for all of us, Bolivia 12ers and Peace Corps Bolivia, Alicia Gray. And Gray being, of course, being her, uh, her maiden name. And now she's, uh, she's married with uh, two kids, right? Two daughters. Yep. Is that right? right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And neither of us had really gotten a chance to go deep with her on no, her life. That, and it was amazing. Yeah. No, it was, it was a really fun one for me because I don't think I had connected with Alicia since Peace Corps, quite honestly. And um, yeah. boy, that's kind of the fun thing about Peace Corps is we were able to just get right back to it. And there wasn't a lot of pretense and we just got into a great conversation, really enjoyed learning about her life. Yeah. And then, you know, she's married in, in the Bay Area, like a lot of Peace Corps friends. And, and I think she mentioned her husband designs rockets. And because of that, is working all the time. And so she's typically with the kids. And we happened to catch her on a night where her husband's Adam, I believe her husband was home. And so we had a special opportunity to spend like a couple hours with her, which we were yeah. right, right before she went on a cross-country trip. Uh, with, That's her, right. with her daughters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is, uh, she was. She uh, got the old RV fired up, um, and uh, <laughs> was was. It was. I think it was two days later that she took off from Bay Area to back to her home state of Massachusetts to visit her parents. Yeah, and what's what's funny is like looking back on it. I remember when she first said that, like you know, it's like oh, okay, but after listening to her interview it's totally in line with her character to just kind of oh without a doubt be adventurous yeah. and take her daughters on a trip across the country in an rv i mean I, that's i'm looking forward to the follow-up on that i want to get i'm sure there's some fun <laughs> stories that came out of that yeah, for sure for sure <laughs> so and maybe a few she'd like to forget who knows <laughs> <laughs> for sure so to kick off this episode I figured uh, we'd just kind of share with the audience, uh, whoever's out there, all of our friends and family and and uh, former Peace Corps Bolivia volunteers. We figured we'd uh, start off with just a, a recap of uh, Alicia post-Peace Corps and a really quick clip to get a sense of what she was up to right after her experience in Peace Corps Bolivia. Why don't you just give us a quick rundown of, you know, in 30 seconds or less, the last 20 years. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> That's been <What's>... boring. <laughs> yep, I'm from Massachusetts, but basically the moment I turned 18, I, I left. Um, Got out. Yeah, I couldn't get out fast enough. And my father joked that I went as far as I could in the continental U.S. I went to school in Lu at Lewis. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I love the Pacific Northwest too, but I went back to grad school at Yale and partly so that I could see if New England would work for me ever again. And the answer is no. no. After like, so I did two masters, one in environmental management and one in global public health. And I was there for three years. And the last winter I was like, Oh my God, I had like a no. sun lamp thing and it didn't matter. <laughs> it was so awful. <laughs> so yeah. I, didn't realize, I didn't realize you had two masters. So you, you got a master's in forestry first and then public health. And was it kind of like con well, they concurrently? Were together. Yeah, they were, they were, which was cool because the forestry school is more fun. So like, <laughs> just basically kept a foot there for the whole time. Pretty nice Are to you... have options to say, I'm going to go to Yale and I'm going to go to get my master's in public health. Oh, and I'll do forestry because it's more fun. <laughs> That's for free. I, um, I actually chose it because I did it. Most of my um, search was for public health schools. So I looked at Emory and I looked at probably more serious programs than Yale. But then I was like, oh, 
I really want to do environmental management too. And it was sort of motivated by Peace Corps in some ways because I focused on Watsan still a little bit. Um, oh, okay. So that was my my global public health was definitely interested in, in looking at those issues. So in looking at Alicia's interview and, and getting a chance to, to listen to it a lot more deeply, the thing that stood out for us was Alicia's ongoing adventurous spirit and the excitement that she felt in doing international development work. And then also she was really making herself available to respond to different moments of crisis, you know, doing crisis core. And even like prior to that, even going to Banda Aceh, or I'm not sure if it was prior or post, but she went to Banda Aceh post tsunami. And then right. the last theme of the show that we're going to talk about is going to be um, after we go over all her career in international uh, development is uh, she talked a lot about her deep connections that she had with people from other cultures and that really stood out and then it sort of stands out with what she's doing today which is uh, she's writing and she's she's writing about Bolivia which is kind of cool yeah I mean she's had so much exposure internationally she's been all over the place and I mean that was fascinating just to listen to that but she right after Peace Corps I think set herself up for that right by going out and getting the masters and global sure. public health and forestry and seem to have this unquenchable thirst to continue to go to these places of crisis and uh, <laughs> insert herself for the excitement of it as well as just a commitment to do uh, good work with people in need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. When we kind of got to the end of the conversation, now she's a writer and she made a comment uh, to the tune of, you know, the first thing that came out was her Bolivia experience, which is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So we're starting off here. The first clip I'm going to share is really uh, her sort of uh, adventures, I guess, in, in, I don't know if it's adventures really, but sort of her commitment to helping others, focusing on her time in emergency aid in Indonesia and in Honduras. Maybe let's like take a listen to that and then we can chat about it afterwards. Yeah, so after Yale, I thought that I would sort of have more of the life that like Cody's had, you know, where you go abroad. Pack and heat. What? Pack and heat. And Pack like and heat. Yeah. And that Alicia. kind of thing. Alicia. No. That's, <laughs> that's pretty far from forestry, Alicia. <laughs> no, I didn't want to. No, no, no. Not, I said the life, not the job. Okay. So, but anyway, so no, not that kind of life. But I meant more like, live abroad and do the development world type work. So during grad school, I went to Bandache right after the tsunami and that was unbelievable. Absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. yeah the, the, the epicenter of the wave. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. So the tsunami happened, I think a couple days after Christmas and I went in June or May, late May. So it was still crazy. And oh, Alicia, was that a previously planned trip or did you go kind of like in, in, no. in the wake of that and kind of, yeah, yeah. in okay. the wake of that. I contacted this guy that, that had helped me get into public health grad school. He works at the CDC and he's somebody I met during Peace Corps. And he was running a water program over in Mandache. And so I called him up and I was like, I've changed my mind. I don't want to go to Peru now. I want to go to to. Banache and he was like, yeah, sure, you can do that. So, so I did. And um, that was my second experience of sort of seeing what emergency aid looks like compared to development, you know, and yeah. it was crazy. I mean, 
people weren't armed, but there were Land Rovers everywhere. The money was just pouring in and they had so much money, but it was really hard to figure out what to do. And, uh-huh. you know, just... Well, still, so know. still it was kind of chaotic maybe during oh, that time, even though it was, it was only it was chaotic. five months later? Yeah, it was chaotic. Like they had picked up all the bodies that they could find at that point but a lot of them were still wrapped in the mud mess that had hardened so like you couldn't get at it the only thing standing were the mosque which was kind of creepy <laughs> so how long were you in banda Ache? like how, and were you on a mission or was it like no i was it was for my summer internship in grad school so i was just there like 3 months or whatever but long enough to get a sense about emergency aid like who's doing emergency aid how like the whole thing works and you know honestly it was it was a real turnoff you know like trying to do development work you're just looking for money all the time or trying to figure out how to get money and where where to put it but i think the emergency situation like that so much money came in around the world because it was so visual so and are, are you think Christmas. were so, there a lot so of it was a turnoff it was a it was a turnoff to you for me. to pursue that line of work in, yeah. in your future is that what and, you're saying yeah okay yeah so i mean while i was there i got a job offer on um and i was like yeah no i'm not staying what was what was the turnoff i imagine if there's an influx of money happening all at one time the vultures are kind of like at the trough like trying to skim it and did you see any of that or was it or was it just like so chaotic hard to make a sense of it yeah it wasn't so much the vulture thing that you would imagine because almost no one was left standing i mean it was you know people weren't pulled together enough to be like, let me take advantage of. So right after Peace Corps, I went and did Crisis Corps in Honduras. There was that wow. huge- um, The hurricane. Hurricane. Hurricane that, Mitch, like, was it Mitch? Yeah, good memory. It was Mitch and basically like, if this is Honduras, it went <laughs> like, and then finally away. So like it was decimated. And I went six months after and that's where I saw like, people taking advantage, like there was so much money again, but that time I was out in the community. And so I could really see like, oh, people are lining up to get extra houses. And it really matters which hardware store you use because then the money goes through this family versus that one. And you know, all of that stuff, stuff that you see if you're actually in the community. In, um, in Bondage, <laughs> there was no community. I mean, they had barracks where people had a room and they literally were like squatting in that room with almost nothing that they, you know, they had nothing. It was all gone. And most of them had lost most or all. I mean, the the few men that I saw were by themselves because they had been out on their boat and they came back and there was nothing. So I, I don't imagine the turnoff was like you, any sort of fear or anything like that, but it was it just you felt like you couldn't make an impact in that situation and like what was yeah. Kind of- so it just felt like when I was there, basically the the cowboys that like to come in and they are sort of like that, like people that really like when it's absolutely wild, when the wind is still blowing, when like the water has yet to recede, like they come in and set stuff up for um, development organizations because they can see that there'll be money. And then there's sort of the next wave, which is like 
you know, we'd pull into work every morning. We had these houses and everybody was housed together, like all of, you know, save and then everybody from whatever organization. We'd pull into the driveway and there'd be like 10 Land Rovers. <laughs> and like, so, and then you go out and do your thing. And sure, like, you know, getting water to people was important and the study that we were doing was important, but it felt like all of this was about to shut off. And then they would all move out and there'd be like right. yeah, so they weren't doing any lasting uh stuff Stand that was gonna really benefit a new community coming out of the ashes it was sort of like hey let's let's get in here let's do what we're doing and skim as much as we can and then get the heck out and go to the next disaster Is well that kind and of and it wasn't even necessarily like oh let's make sure we skim it was just like that's just sort of built into the, the, the framework product. but but also yeah. in this situation like what do you do? I mean, they built the barracks, they fixed water and, and sanitation from there, but then there's no way that they could rebuild really on that. Yeah, I distinctly remember when, when Crisis Core came out, thinking about throwing my name in the hat, just because you can have a choice of whether you go or not. And, and it's open for Peace Corps volunteers, but I, I just never, I never did it. I don't know what happened. I'm so impressed that you did. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, to even to even kind of throw yourself out there like that. Yeah, I was there for six months, and I have to tell you, if Honduras had been even even a fraction as amazing as Bolivia, I'd be there now. So, well, Jason, you want to go? Strong statement at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot there to unpack, but uh, I mean, what a great story! I mean, she just gave us an insight into. She's a great some, storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, from Banda Aceh to Honduras with Crisis Corps, right? He did not shy away from disaster I, I, and yeah. going after it. And I think through that, what was interesting yeah. to learn about Alicia is that she really found what was most compelling to her, which I think we got into it a little bit later in the conversation, which was field work compared to like policy work, which... Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think she would have figured that out had she not gone out and done those things. Yeah, and from, from an emergency aid standpoint, I think what stood out was just this whole, you know, you always think about like going to doing emergency work aid and then it's like, it's it's kind of very selfless. There's there's nothing, you're going out there and setting up an infrastructure. It's not glamorous. Definitely <laughs> not. And you're not you even sure if you can help right people because it's, it, yeah, like in those two in those two situations, those communities were so devastated. And uh, what can you do? You can only kind of put like basic subsistence type of infrastructure in place and then you really can't do much because a lot of it depends on the area needs to rebuild itself. And, well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, they're, you know, and that takes time, that takes time you know, limping along right after a major yeah. disaster and you got to get basic, basic needs uh, going again so that they can be in a place to, to kind of rebuild themselves. But yeah. You know, uh, so, so expounding on this kind of like lucky to be in Bolivia, I'm going to play another clip, which where she kind of contrasts her time doing emergency aid with Bolivia. So let's listen to this clip real quick. No one had knives. No one had machetes everyone walks around in Honduras with the machete and they're using it on each other in Bolivia there was none of that you took a night bus you get on a bus at night so that you'd sleep so you wouldn't see what what you were driving by you know like yeah. how close you were to the cliff you know and I walked around everywhere in Bolivia now you know basically in Bolivia if you got into trouble it was because it was your own damn fault you know, you're working for it somehow. Yeah, you're being yeah. you're being a little bit stupid. Yeah, you're being yeah, you're being dumb. Like you fell for a trick. 
like, oh, you know, I found some money on the ground and you like stopped and talked to them about it. And like, and all of a sudden, like you didn't have any money anymore. <laughs> like, you know? My gosh, what a different experience. But you know, it's, it is interesting that you talk about Bolivia in such a positive light, because again, having a Peace Corps experience is a special experience, but something about, I think our group and also even the other groups, you know, you know, B9, B10, B11, B12, and, and so on. I mean, it just feels like compared to other stories you hear out there in, in the Peace Corps, and then there's lots of good ones, but I don't know. We had a pretty solid group. We had a pretty uh, good time. Think, it was a good experience. The country had a lot to do with that. I, I mean, think that, I think credit Bolivia. I think, yeah, credit Bolivia yeah, for that, for sure. You know, they're, they're a peaceful people. And um, sure, there's strife and, and throughout their history, but, you know, they're peaceful people and the country's gorgeous, although the infrastructure's not really there, but still, that has a lot to do with it, too. And just the people, like, we're so, I don't know, there's, there's a quality and, and it's still there on some level in a lot of places, but it's like an earnestness. People are very genuine and in a way that you don't find in most of the world. So even going to Honduras, like a very similar country economically in a lot of ways, six months later, like you didn't find that. You could find it if you went out far enough into the countryside, but, but in general, in the, say the little town that I lived in Honduras versus the little town I lived in in, in Bolivia, totally, totally different. And, and part of that was that you felt safe, you know, okay. and you knew your, your people. Bolivia for me was like, I think Peace Corps in general is this incredible opportunity to actually live in a community in a situation that you will never be able to replicate, which is why I stayed longer because I was yeah. like, I'll never be able to live in a community like this and have a job. I had forgotten that she had actually trued up for another year of service. I think she was the only person in our group that did that. You know? Uh, is there is that right? Um, hmm, I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah. But clearly, she just felt comfortable and at home there almost from the get-go and made it last for a while. And it became an inspiration for her to pursue these other projects in her career. So that's a, it's a good segue to the next theme of the show, which is basically the, kind of the excitement. She talked about her career. So in this first clip on this theme, she talks about her inspiration really for joining the Peace Corps in Bolivia. It's a short clip. Let's take a listen and talk about it. So I had this scary advisor in college. I majored in English, but I was focused on creative writing. So I was assigned like the one writer and she was very much like everyone should learn a language all americans should travel the world and not unjustifiably she thought of most of the students at lewis and clark as being very privileged and you know stuck in their little world so i was like yeah yeah i'm not going to learn spanish because i can get a waiver for not learning languages because it's really hard for me and she was like what are you talking about? That's not happening. Like you have to go to, you know, you have to go to learn this language right now. Like, you know, so I signed up for Spanish and I was fine for the first semester. And then I realized that I could finish my whole second year by going to Ecuador for, for a semester. So I went to Ecuador. It was amazing. It was a lot like Bolivia in a lot of ways, like the same sort of calmness. There wasn't a lot of violence. It was pretty, but it blew my mind. And 
yes, my Spanish got better, but as you know, Samir, it was not great when. But I don't. I don't remember that. Better Spanish is great, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember what she's talking about. But I don't know for whatever reason. She, were you, you know, guys in? Were you guys in uh, uh, Spanish class together when we were in I training guess, or something? Is that I what did, that reference was? Yeah, or? I didn't. I didn't recall. Um, she she mentioned that during our time with her that we were in the same Spanish class during training. But you know, oh, yeah. Everybody's trying to adjust, and and nobody's really like paying attention. I think everybody, like I think I probably right. didn't think my Spanish was that good, you know. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what inspired me to join the Peace Corps. I think I did take like a development economics class because um, I didn't have like family. Like you had a lot of close family that had gone to the Peace Corps. For you, it's kind of like a like a family birthright at this point, like fourth, fourth generation, four generations of Peace Corps volunteers. Oh, or I don't know about Because even your nephew, yeah. even your nephew has been Actually, in the Peace well, Corps. Right? Let's see. So I've got an uncle, my sister, me. Yeah. It's four generations. And nephew. Yeah. Well, really three, uncle, then me, my sister, another generation. But anyway, oh, yeah, sorry. there's, there's, I can't count. There's been a... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but for me, I didn't have that, you know, like I just remember like the um, commercial, when we were younger, like the toughest job you'll ever love. And that's right. It, it was good commercial. It still resonates today. They sold it as kind of like the toughest job you'll ever love. They sold yeah, it as an, adventure, as an adventure. And I think I bought into that. And so for me, I totally was, did. I totally yeah. did. Like I was not ready to go into, you know, corporate life or get real serious right off the bat. I need, I needed more of, I don't know. I don't need more of what I, I not college life. I was I was ready to be done with college life. I graduated, but I needed to experience some things outside of my bubble. And and fortunately, I like you mentioned, I had some people above me that you know in my family that I'm sure I heard stories and certainly remember hearing stories from my sister. To quote, coming to America, you needed to sow your royal oats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's kind of funny because when she's talking about it, I mean, I think we probably all had kind of origin stories, if you will. <laughs> That's a curiosity for me to find that out. And, you know, our peers that were there is, hey, what brought you there, you know? And, you know, Alicia mentions her scary counselor <laughs> that, that uh, pushed her into truly learning Spanish and going yeah. to have an experience. And that ultimately was what sparked her interest in Peace Corps. So in this next clip, Alicia talks about basically her career spanning, it seemed like a decade at least, maybe a little bit more than that, of international service. And kind of also with fits and starts in the Bay Area. And she talks about the Bay Area kind of being a, a place where all the former Peace Corps Bolivian oh, people yeah, yeah, yeah. were was, just kind of there of, at the uh, same time. Xanadu of uh, former RPCBs in Xanadu. It's still kind of a Xanadu for former Peace Corps. So anyway, so yeah, we'll have to make it out there after the COVID-19 to kind of... Uh, Maybe that's a good place if we were to do a reunion for Bolivia 12. To do San Fran? Oh, San Fran. God, I love that city. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's listen to this clip, and then uh, it's quite a long clip. We'll listen to it, and then we'll uh, we'll get a chance to. Good. Give me time to get a beer. Yeah, sounds good. I'm a lot better in the field than I am doing policy. So I moved to San Francisco right after Honduras, and I was here for, um, let's see, 99 to 2003. 
Yeah, it was crazy. I, I was talking to Jennifer O'Rourke on the phone. I had just gotten an apartment. I'm staying there on Guerrero. It, like my apartment was like in the mission. And I called her up and I had like a phone and I think I had a futon and that was all in my room, like in a duffel bag. That was it. And I called her and I was like, well, I'm just starting over. I don't know anybody. And she's like, what are you talking about? Everyone's there. I'm like, who's there? She's like, Aaron's there. Katie's there. Joe's there. Like she just like, there were so many people here. I remember even Tom, even Tom Wallen was there for a little bit. I remember. Wasn't yeah, he well, there? now he is again, but now yeah, he's there. I didn't see him then. But yeah, that must've been a fun time to be with everybody at the same time. At those yeah. Things. Yeah. Because people were just and, starting to like find their significant others. Nobody had kids like, you know, so, but it was so, it was so nice to like have everybody here and like see so i did i reconnected with a lot of them because i hadn't come home at the same time like i had lost touch with a lot of people so it was really it does seem like the two big hubs are san francisco and washington dc uh where a lot of the peace corps people yeah. kind of like still stay connected you know there's a lot of people in dc yeah so then san francisco and then so, okay. so then so then I decided that I would go back to grad school and move overseas again. So my other internship the other summer was for the World Health Organization and it was in Italy in Rome and I had never been to Europe and I was like oh <laughs> like the influences from Latin America are so clear <laughs> like in uh, <laughs> as you travel around Spain and so basically, I got to see the, the inside of a big organization like that, and then basically where the money is in development, like the emergency aid side. And then I went to Washington, and I didn't like it. And so I moved back to San Francisco and immediately found this organization that I wanted to work for that did international water work, and it was based in the Presidio in San Francisco. And so I got a job with them. and worked helping them run research projects on water and sanitation in a few countries in India and in Africa, which was super fun. And I really liked it. And again, when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, my strongest skill set is definitely in the field. So what, what, okay, so why speak the language, like <laughs> it didn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Help, help us understand that, though. Um, or, you know, you came to that realization, obviously, after having experienced a couple of different sides, right? Field work and maybe even more policy, policy work. Yeah. Um, so what brought you to that conclusion? Well, uh, that, I, you're, that you feel like you're better in the field? So I think I'm more engaged. I think I, I um, it's like that, that feeling of like, wow, this is different, you know. Real-time feedback. The real yeah. time, real time, honest feedback of everything that you're doing. It's that. Um, yeah, and you have an effect, an immediate effect on the community or the people that you're working with. And I really like to travel. So, and part of the reason I like to travel is that, like, I'm curious about people and I love seeing new and beautiful places. And so I really liked it. And then everything happened at once in that I met Adam and we got married. So that was 2008. And then I wanted to have a baby. So taking malaria pills, like while you mm. want to 
have a baby yeah. is not great. Not good. Uh, well, it's, it does help with coronavirus, I hear. But uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> check your information. <laughs> I'm taking some right now. Trust me. Yeah, um, with my uh, hard cider. Probably, hard maybe. The best you can. <laughs> um, I remember, by the way, I remember taking methylquine, just side topic, uh, er, when I was in uh, Peace Corps. Early. Yes, of course. The <laughs> o- only way to do it. I just remember, like, there was a higher incidence of malaria where I was staying. Yeah. It's pro- probably the same as where you were, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more where, where I was initially staying, not where I ended up afterwards, but yeah. I think I took it for six weeks. By the third week, I started getting these weird nightmares. Oh, yeah. And then I stopped after after I had like one, it was like, it's because of the methylquine, and then I just stopped there, and I never had it again, but they yeah, were like yeah. almost like psychotic. It was like weird. Can and you remember? I, I wonder if our president is on methylquine. <laughs> it's like well, a yeah. super paranoid. No, no, he said he was. He said he, yeah. said he is. So, so, no, but Samir, can you remember that dream? I remember it had, there was a knife and it was like, uh, like I literally felt somebody stabbing me. It was like oh the God. weirdest. And, so, and did you yeah. have something like that? Arena, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> What's I, remember, that? I remember some of the dreams that I had because I would take I would take myself off it, you know, whatever, whatever Peace Corps recommended. But so there was a time of year that there were more mosquitoes. And so I would take it during that time and not during the, the dry um, season. And I remember vividly two or three of those dreams like it was yesterday and that's not normal you don't remember your your dream one of them was like i was was like dying (gasps) i I was yeah literally dying and i like woke myself up and i was like you know don't keep going in this dream or you're gonna be dead yeah (laughs) I, i don't have i never have bad nightmares i rarely remember what i dream and those, I, I think three time, three weeks in a row, I had something weird happen. And it was like almost an identical timestamp from the time that I took it. Cause it was like a weekly yeah. slow release type of pill. And I remember it was like maybe like two days after or one day, it was something like right around the time that I took it. And then after that, I think, I think Aaron Risto actually told me you're getting that from the methylquine. And yeah. I was like, Oh crap. I gotta, I gotta stop taking it. So and Araby was like, Man, I'm gonna start taking it because it's great for the dreams. <laughs> Fabulous! I can write down all this stuff. I think with that, when I listened to that clip from Alicia, it, it took me back also to the time when she's talking about in the beginning, like living on a futon with Jenna Work. Takes you back to that time when you're trying to. <laughs> When you're trying to figure out stuff when you're coming back home, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a weird period for sure. You know, um, I can't remember how long it kind of lasted for me, but they prepped us for it. There was the whole what do they call it, reverse culture shock coming back in. But it sounds like their experience was kind of cool. You know, to um, they're all going through it together, and they're they they're, they were in the Xanadu of uh, Peace <laughs> or Bolivia, which is uh, San Francisco. So when they're when they're there, they're they're still in that same mindset. I think you'll see like a lot of the San Francisco and the DC people that they just ended up carrying on with sort of development work. And maybe it's because they kind of kept that mindset going. Maybe it's because they kept that mindset fresh in that informative time after, after you came back Uh, from Peace Corps, you know, maybe, and you and I kind of, meandered off and did our own thing. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm sure it's different 
to some degree for each different person, but some people may have had inclinations toward development work even prior to Peace Corps and then went to Peace Corps and got validated and said, hey, I want to keep doing this kind of thing. You could just tell the excitement in her voice when she was talking about that. So moving on, obviously get a good depiction of how she felt about her career and the adventure and traveled all around the world with her international service. And so the final theme from Alicia that really stood out was she really went deep into the deep connections that she had and still has uh, with uh, people from other oh, cultures. Like her, she was well, her best friend. Her was, best friend uh, is Bolivia. In Bolivia. Yeah. yeah. And then she talks a little bit about a boyfriend that she had and kind of the, the, the challenges of having that sort of cross-cultural relationship and uh, kind of talks about uh, a lot of different. So first let's play a clip of about Alicia uh, talking about her time with her best friend uh, just recently did a trip a few years ago uh, coming to San Francisco. Might have been last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was a good one. Yeah. So here, let's play this and we can talk about it. I was in Saavedra, just outside of Montero, and maybe a little more than an hour and a half sort of outside of Santa Cruz. So you have to get a taxi or a bus to get into Montero, and then to Montero, it was, it was pretty fast. And you had some pretty close Bolivian friends over there, right? And you still are you still pretty close in touch with them and everything? Yeah, I am very close with uh, the person I consider to be my best friend in the world, and she's Bolivian and from that town. And she came to visit last year for a month, and I'm so glad she did it last year because, uh, yeah. like, yeah. she'd never be able to do it now, and it'd be so different now, of course. And so she came for the month of June and it was cool. She came to San Francisco. She, um, every single day, it was crazy. She's never been to the United States or is this her first time? No, no. She'd never left Bolivia. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Big trip. Big trip. Like she had gone to La Paz to go get her visa and she had gone to Cochabamba I think twice through like work things and she's professional. She, she finished high school and then she got a degree in, in accounting. And so she works for a nonprofit. It was the nonprofit that I was paired with and she does all of their accounting. So anyway, she came to the U S and every single day there was something that blew her mind. And you know, she's, She's 40 and like literally every single day. It was it was such a crazy experience for her and it was such a crazy experience for me. So like she'd never been to the ocean. We went to the ocean. I didn't realize we took the BART down to the ferry building. We got off the train and she was like shaking. And I was like, hey, what's up? You know, I had the kids with it. She was like, I've never been on a train. You know, like <laughs> so every day there was, it was blowing her mind and sort of blowing mine too, just because you don't have that experience. No, that's pretty. I wish I we mean, had that experience. I wish I that, wish something moved cool me to that, that way. Point. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, wouldn't it be so neat to like uh, go someplace and you're like, whoa, look at that and have your mind blown you know, every single day for a month. That would be awesome. Yeah. Where do we, where do we ha- sign me up for that? <laughs> no. Well, Bolivia yeah, was kind of like cool. that, wasn't it? I mean, it was, I was actually, it was, you're it right. Was. You're right. That's, was. That was so, remember, that's what's like, so magical about it. Yeah. I still remember looking out the window in Bolivia as we like landed in Cochabamba. Like, um, so we had already been to La Paz or whatever. Landed. We landed at night. Didn't we, did we land at night or did we land during, no, we didn't. Some no, 
Because we, we flew more early, more early, more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we landed in La Paz, and and I remember them being like, you know, if you ever want to work for this, you know, whatever the CIA, don't have this mate de coca, and everybody's like, give me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have two. <laughs> anyway, I remember looking out the window and being and seeing the Jolitas in like thinking to myself i'm gonna stay here a long time like in some ways it's crazy to think like i came really close to staying and i mean i think that i i'm glad that i didn't i like the life that i have she just kind of got totally immersed into the culture right and i think that's like the ultimate benefit uh, of Peace Corps, right? I think that's kind of a recurring theme with everybody that we're connecting back with. I mean, nobody really thinks so much about like what the impact they had. I mean, it was great to help people and stuff like that, but we all took away so much from it. And one of the key components that you have an opportunity to do so, not everybody got to do it. I mean, we all immersed ourselves in a cult, in the culture a little bit. She really immersed herself in the culture we by having like, these really strong friendships, right? Yeah, and it seems like she's very much living that third mission of the Peace Corps, which mm -hmm. is to sort of bring the culture back with you to the United States and kind of, you know, help other Americans learn about it and know about it. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about that story the most was her vivid memory of flying into Cochabamba. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, you know, I, I, I vaguely remember that, but uh, she... I, yeah, I didn't. Stuck I remember... Out, stuck yeah. out with her for sure. I remember flying into La Paz because I remember like worried about needing oxygen and stuff like that. And seeing the oxygen. <laughs> I remember them yeah. giving us mate de coca. I don't remember this them saying like if you drink mate de coca, <laughs> you're like I'll take it. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody was like, yeah, give it to me. I probably was paranoid at that point. That. I was like, oh god. But then of course <laughs> learned to love that stuff just like everybody else. But um, uh, so what are the three mission statements for the Peace Corps, Jason? Ah, well, um, not verbatim, but I think, uh, let's see, it is to provide some sort of technical assistance, right, to another country, right? And there's a ton of different fields that people go into. And then the other one is to share your culture with the country that you're in, the host country. And then the third one is to, when you come back, share what you've learned about the culture of the country that you're in with your fellow Americans. Interesting. Um, so, you know, it's that global connectivity that it tries to, tries to achieve. It's interesting. The second one is interesting. Share our culture with the cultures. <laughs> yeah. Share the, share the yeah. gringo culture. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Which, I mean, you know, you stick a, an American in some outpost in the middle of nowhere in some country yeah. and, you know, they're going to stand out a little bit and hopefully, you know, they're curious and they want to learn about you. So, yeah, so like, so the, you know, obviously the, the story that she provided, just like, yeah, again, the, the whole like blowing your mind thing, like Alicia keeps on repeating that. It's kind of funny because she gets that excitement, right, from just these unique cultural experiences. To be honest, these are unique experiences that you can only get when you immerse yourself into another culture. It, the, it, otherwise, you're not really looking. Otherwise, you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. But if you all these mind-blowing experiences that she's talking about kind of throughout the podcast, it's, 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 it's all really about cultural immersion. I mean... Going back to our earlier uh, conversation, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. I mean, that, you know, that's the that's the piece that for, for the right person who is interested in that kind of a thing, literally you're experiencing just new stuff uh, every day for a two-year period. I mean, I suppose, you know, after the first year, you kind of you know, develop some routine and get accustomed to things. But 
even that second year in Peace Corps, you're just coming encountering difference that is enlightening and exciting and interesting and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean you were saying that in that clip too like we, we just don't get our mind blown as much anymore and part of it's just right. because we're not in that in that frame of mind we're not observing things from that cross-cultural lens so um so just you know kind of going deeper on that cross-cultural thing she she just to share a short clip here where she talks about having a boyfriend in um Bolivia and just the kind of the challenges with having that sort of cross-cultural relationship. Um, let's uh, also another way of, you know, really immersing yourself in a culture. So let's, let's just listen to this short clip and then talk about it. I'm curious though, when did you come to that realization that you, you mentioned just a second ago that you thought, okay, I could stay here for a long time. Was that literally as you were arriving in Bolivia or is it after you had been there for a little while? No, no, it was as the plane landed in Cochabamba and came to a stop and I looked out and saw, I can still sort of remember there were, for whatever reason, God knows why they were like close enough to be seen from, the, <laughs> you know, Bolivia. Like, yeah, there, right. there were women like, out there. They were selling, selling, selling Exactly. And I was like, bacha, bacha, limon. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. I, I'm going to stay here for a long time. Yeah. Okay. I, but I got to know why. Like, so if you could take yourself back to that moment in time, literally you're landing in the airplane in Cochabamba, mm -hmm. first time you're in Bolivia and you have this, you have this moment, like what was going through your mind? Why? Why, why did you feel that way? I, I don't know. I think um, it just, you know. Comfort, in, some kind of like some home feeling maybe or. Magical. Maybe magical, maybe like, maybe a home feeling. I don't know. I, you know, in, in the same way that we were just talking about that, like feeling of like, wow, this is different. So, I mean, then I went through training and there were a lot of like uncomfortable moments in training that I did not <laughs> enjoy. So it wasn't like, was like, oh, perfect from the, but right, I would right. say that the lion's share of my time there was was more like that. And it does not cease, even after three years, to keep blowing me away. Like the, the way that people do things. And I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I, I definitely liked the guy that I was dating, but having a, a person that was like a best friend and then having a boyfriend as time went on helped me learn more about like what was actually going on, you know, because we would like argue about something and then we'd have to like back it up, back it up, back it up. Like, where's the assumption that we just messed up? Like, because culturally, like we stepped on each other and we didn't know, like, and um, it really like kept me learning about what was going on in Bolivia and what were the assumptions that were happening in my small town that I wouldn't have seen on a day-to-day -day basis. You could tell from the conversation I was really trying to get at, okay, so like you knew right then and there that, you know, you had this feeling where I guess why that took me a little bit by surprise. I mean, we were, it was a magical moment. We were all sort of excited, and, you know, maybe even a little bit nervous about, hey, what's next? What's coming to us? But what struck me was, she seemed immediately at at ease like hey this is an awesome place and i'm um loving where i'm at and thought about the long term right yeah. away i didn't have and, that uh, yeah I, I don't think i did either i mean I, I was committed i wasn't kind of like half half in half out but at the same time i was probably you know nervous and apprehensive and 
wondering what was going to be. I'm thinking about also, these are the days pre-internet, right? So we didn't have the ability to just quickly pull up a browser and start looking at images of Bolivia or pull up YouTube clips, right? So I didn't even have a picture in my head of what it was going to be like. I mean, I'd seen a few books. I'd read some stuff like um, for the State Department literature. Going in, I just knew nothing. So I was kind of like, where am I? Where am I and what did I sign up for? (laughs) Right, right. And that's that was my initial that was my initial feeling like how, uh, how am I going to navigate this and like uh, yeah. can I follow you can I follow some <laughs> I tag on to some people that that maybe know what they're doing a little bit more. So well, we me, all did that. I mean, you know, and yeah. that's the beauty of you know you're kind of you're in that group, right? And they, I'm I'm sure that's with intention. They keep you in that group and sort of get you training, get you yeah. acclimated stuff yeah. but and then you know and then in retrospect i mean this has come up multiple times in all the conversations that we've had so far but you know no idea where we were going we end up in bolivia and man, everybody had the same feeling of man we were so lucky to be in bolivia yes. not just in bolivia but at the time when we were in bolivia because obviously bolivia's changed quite a bit and the world has changed a lot but just that time period that time bubble was such a perfect time to be there and so let's listen to their Alicia talk a little bit about that and then we'll have a conversation we're so lucky i mean you could just wander around like you know a babe in the woods and you know nobody really took advantage of you in the way that i mean i don't think you could do that now in say in Santa Cruz, you certainly couldn't. I bet well, you could. I was just going to ask you about that. In the two times that you've gone back, were you able to recapture some of that magic or was it a totally different experience for you? Both times I went for a month because that's, that's, I felt like you couldn't go for less than that. You know, life is so much slower there. And the first time I went back and I went and stayed with my best friend. So he, they picked me up at the airport and um she had had two kids and we drove into her house which she was like we i live alone and i was like what do you mean like what she meant was i don't live with my in-laws and i don't live with my parents my husband and i live alone with our child and like so but we drove in and one of the little kids um who i had been around all the time when she was a baby was like there's your room and they had like built a room onto their house for me (laughs) for my stay which was you know of course they were going to use it after but I was like oh my god so yeah it was amazing and it was similar to to being there because everybody remembered me and everything sort of like kind of fell back into place in some ways like mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I, I think about going back to my village and in 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 Bolivia and, and to be honest with you I feel a little bit nervous and I get a lot of anxiety because I I feel like I didn't stay connected and I feel like I had some really good relationships there so but I just people are very forgiving of like, I mean, because there'd be like years when I wouldn't write or like long, long periods, but that, that didn't matter. And I only stayed in really in touch with like the one person. And since there'd been, I was the first volunteer there, but after there were plenty of others and many of them were much better than I was about staying in touch. And so, I mean, I certainly didn't hold up compared to these other people that I heard about, but um, they, it was. Well, we were also like, we were, we, we, we were in a weird time too, because um, 
you know, we got back home was when the internet kind of exploded and it was already happening before we were there, but we, we were a little bit out of the, out of the loop. <laughs> I yeah. remember, I remember um, <laughs> going to, I can't remember what exactly, but maybe like some extension office of the university in Tariha to write an email back to somebody <laughs> and I would like, you know, do that once a week and I'm like, yeah, I just wrote an email and then I wait for the response. <laughs> you know, it's so different than that was the very early stages. Oh my God. And you go to like the internet cafe and half the time, yeah. like there was no power or like, you know, yeah. most of the computers had bugs and wouldn't work and like, yeah. Mm, yeah. So when we were there, we were disconnected from isolated. I suppose today, just the way that everybody's got cell phones now. And I think I mentioned this to you before. We had a radio that we would have to communicate into <laughs> La Paz. And then they would literally take the telephone and put it to the radio if I needed to talk to my parents. I think it happened a couple times where we literally had to use a radio. It was radio to radio. And somebody was holding a telephone to the radio receiver on the other end of La Paz. <laughs> No way to I think if I right. wanted to make a phone call, I had to go into Tariha. Um, That's right. Maybe yeah. somebody had a phone in Pugkaya, but um, letter writing was was a big thing. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, you know, we used to we used to write a lot of letters. Uh, you know, not only back home, but even amongst ourselves. Which, our friend, yeah, our, 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 most of our friendships were forged over letters. Yeah. I mean, like you and yeah. I stayed in touch over like postcards and letters and for sure we definitely don't do that anymore but that was like the that was no, like the that was no. like the email of the day right like it you Letter. would you would probably <laughs> like if I sent you a letter today you'd be like what's going on here <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's gonna be like oh yeah it's probably gonna be some sort of congratulatory card or thank you card or something how about the fact that when she went back uh they her friend and her friend's husband built a room under their house for her. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, they were going to use later. But still, that's that's uh, they that's value the, the amount they value that relationship, because in those areas, they're, they're remote. You, you, being able to share a connection with somebody that's from outside is very unique for them, as unique for them as it is for us. And I guess in, in a way, that's kind of the way that you're, you're doing mission number two statement of the Peace Corps is just by being there. I don't know if we actually yep. consciously thought about sharing our American culture with Bolivians, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think like no, just by being there, but the then, that, yeah, exactly. Just by just, being there, just by being there. And I think just by then having this desire to learn about Bolivian culture, maybe that is, you know, our culture of non-culture, our, our, our non-culture culture. <laughs> contribution right so yeah it, bolivia was just uh we, we were we were definitely lucky i mean the key thing is also the safety thing just relative to other peace corps locations that we could have been in just the time that we were there uh, it was just like so lucky so the the last clip, clip is kind of long because we, we kind of go into this discussion but really we're highlighting here is alicia now is a, a writer and so we get into this conversation about uh, writing a book, really, that she's writing uh, from her own story, but her story and kind of thinking about, you know, potentially her best friend, right, in the story. And um, just want to call out here before we listen to this clip, the first chapter of the book was just published last month in the Noya River Review, which is a publication associated with the Mendocino Coast Writers Conference, where it won first place in the conference, uh, in the conference's uh, middle grade writing contest. And so the whole idea here is her desire to sort of share 
Bolivian culture back with Americans, kind of that, that third. And I don't think she's thinking about that way. She's thinking about writing something very personal. But so we go into that, that piece of it. And then we, we then start having a conversation about cultural appropriation, which kind of took me off guard. You kind of caught, sensed it right away. But for me, I, I, so we I kind of expound a little bit on it. Let's listen to it and then we'll have a, we'll have a conversation afterwards. Yeah. So when Adam started the startup and our youngest started preschool, I decided that I would give writing a try for a year. So it's been a few years now. And um, so it's interesting because I started writing that year and the first stuff that came out was Bolivia. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Because I kind of thought when I went to Bolivia that I would write about it. And, you know, I didn't really keep that detailed of a journal. But as it turns out, like, I, I was keeping a lot of stuff because I have a lot to, to write about it. And so I, I realized pretty quickly that there was there was a novel and so I took a class and um, figured out that I was trying to write a middle grade novel and so I've been working on it ever since and it's about it's pretty close to to the last draft my novel takes place in Bolivia it takes place in Santa Cruz and um, the tricky part is is that my main character is um, 11 and she's moving from the highlands up by Lake Titicaca down to the lowlands to harvest sugarcane which you know I watched a lot of people do it at the time and I remember being like this is mind-blowing these people are going from one culture to the other like the culture clash the like the racial um discrimination that is going on here like that just all of it was absolutely crazy and um and I don't know I mean I think if you lived where you lived Samir my world was basically like this crazy melding of like Kamba and Koya and it was oil and water so the deal is is like it's about this 11 year old and she's sort of dealing with the they like buy land in this little village outside of Saavedra and they settle. And so I know that world really well, but I really wanted to look at like what was going on with the two cultures sort of slamming into each other. And like, um, but there is a really huge pushback in the world. Like, and I don't know if you're gonna include this in your podcast, but there's a big pushback in the world about um, who can write um, what and, um, so it'll be interesting to see if you do get to read it, like outside of me sending it to you, because wait, 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 yeah. I don't, I'm not following what you're talking about. I think I well, know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, like, do you, so the, do you have, so, um, does it have to do with like sort of cultural appropriation type? Exactly. Stuff? So yeah. do you have the right, do I have the right as, as a, um, white person to write about, you know, Bolivia. What? So, I mean, I understand yeah, the cultural, yeah. pro- I'm going to just say something. Right, 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 right. No, because like for me, that's, that's nonsense. This is like, so I could tell you something from my own, uh, from what I know. Okay. Um, I have two things that come to mind right away when you're talking about this. First of all, may he rest in peace. Anthony Bourdain. He's kind of a, he was a hero of mine. And if you've ever seen, 
his shows, which I imagine you probably have, you know, occasionally, his takes on India are the most insightful, incredible, like takes on India and the deepest and most profound that I've ever seen. So if you see any of his episodes on India, I highly recommend it as somebody who knows the country intimately and the culture intimately. Um, Elaine Danlou, who's a, who's a French guy wrote the most, the, the kind of like the most profound novel about India. And obviously I've been close to Indian culture. Um, Alexi de Tocqueville, uh, wrote democracy in America, which to this day stands as an opus of American culture. Like there's stuff that he wrote in the early 1800s as an, as a foreigner in the United States that are so insightful about American optimism and things like that, that still hold true today. And in innovation, in anything that you're trying to build, if you are not seeking feedback or observations from outsiders, you're stuck in your own bubble. And I think having somebody with your experience to comment on that is super insightful probably because you're able to extract yourself. You're not as close to the situation as somebody else. So I would, I mean, I would be strongly in favor of you finishing. So, so let me, let me just throw this out at you, Samir. And by the way, I agree with you. I, I have no qualms about people writing about, you know, it's art and art comes in many forms, but, but, but let me just also throw your experience. You as, sort of devil, as sort of the devil's advocate Please, to the, to the, art, to the counter argument there, all of the works that you were just talking about are observational works, right? That yeah. are not fictional works as if you were writing in the voice of, and I think that's kind of what is the umbrage that people take with that is when you were writing in the voice of, well, you know, they say, do you really have the authenticity to write in the voice of? The most authentic and book. In I don't the think English. that's a problem. Yeah. But it is different. It is different than an observational say, piece like through Bourdain or to Tocqueville versus kind of what we're talking about I'll here. Say, I think, I'll say, your book is fictional, right, Alicia? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, but, a, it's a middle grade novel. I'll cite one more example. Pearl Buck, uh, The Good Earth. Yeah. So that's like one of the, that is like the, that is like a profound book about Chinese culture that, that's so accessible to somebody who speaks English. There's no way you get that deep on that yeah. culture without somebody like her writing that book. And it's all, it's, there's also this accessibility factor. Like they're speaking it from both perspectives. You're able to take a state's perspective and understand and extrapolate that culture. That makes it more accessible for us who are interested in learning about the culture. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I know there is this argument. I, I guess I didn't connect the dots when you were saying that. I guess I'm not maybe as attuned, but the, the, just maybe the way I'm thinking about it, it's more about education. Um, well, yeah. yeah, no, I think a lot of my motivation is if you if you google middle grade bolivia novels there aren't any they're they're for the dominican republic you know even haiti might have like a few um but quite frankly like especially at the moment bolivians are busy you know doing other things they're not mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily writing um, or that work isn't coming out or whatever. So there's a real um, lack of, of that world. And like I found Bolivia just to be mind blowing. And, you know, I traveled all around South America, but 
I feel like um, bringing that into into the kids world is you know has some value but I definitely understand that like I am not Amara like and I didn't live with um that group necessarily so I mean a lot of that is through research and observation but the the part that I know and I'm very secure with is the the come like what happened when or what happens in 1995 when they came down to um, Bolivia when they came down to the the lowlands and like what they faced and what it looked like and how different it was so um, you know I I feel like I'm going to it's some of the people that I'm going to ask to read it for to make sure that. I'm not off on, you know, anything. I don't know anybody that I could ask that is Amara at this point, but I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to ask Joe and Katie to read it. Um, Katie like lived where pretty close to where this girl is, had started from. And then from there, like hopefully find somebody that I can, can ask to read it, but it's, you know, it's tricky. It's not like I could, even ask my best friend in Bolivia, first of all, she wouldn't know the Amara stuff. And second of all, um, she can't read English. I'm just thinking about that right now. Like what, what a, I'll let you talk about it. Was it what was the reason why the, the, the people from the, the Altiplano went down? Was it the Reforma Agraria at the time? Was that, did they have like opportunities to like get lots of land down there? Is that what happened? Well, I I, I'm not um, very knowledgeable of it, but what I gathered yeah. from what Alicia was saying was, I mean, it was essentially a new start. It was an opportunity. It was, it was an economic, was probably the main driver was, hey, sure. we got to pick up and go. Um, it had to do but you with uh, harvesting sugarcane. Yeah, yeah, so what were your thoughts of yeah. hearing that clip? I mean, you know, re-listening to that just now, I mean, you really hit on it with your uh, points about making um, the uh, culture accessible to other folks. And oftentimes that's done at least early on. In this case, as Alicia points out, there's just not a lot of material um, uh, to educate people about Bolivia, at least from that perspective, you know, from a middle graders perspective of what it's like to go from one part of the country to, the, to another part of the country where there are vast cultural differences. And, and I loved your point about saying, hey, you know, there are examples throughout history of you know, foreigners writing about that because they've lived amongst those people and have, and have had deep observation and they do therefore have the authenticity to be able to write about that, even if it is in a fictional way, to make them, um, that story, that information, that experience accessible to the rest of the world. And what I don't think came out of that clip was, you know, Alicia had commented about, you know, some editor saying, well, gosh, how could you possibly write about that? Because, you know, you're a blonde, blue-eyed American. Well, it was clear to me that that person didn't have the knowledge of of Alicia's experiences over a yeah you know, decade long period of being yeah, in and out of those types of cultures. Yeah, it's just that they they don't even know about they don't know about Bolivia specifically, and I think part of the problem with cultural appropriation. Yeah, they're they're definitive real instances of cultural appropriation. So I, I definitely sure. want to call that out. 
but a lot of that has to do with like not giving people credit and not like you know not like kind of crediting the other mm -hmm. culture or sort of like exploring mm -hmm. this dominance this is really somebody providing an observation if anything it gives that cultural a voice and it also provides uh, sort of a timestamp, uh, like a historical timestamp of the way that culture was. It's a historical record. Um, mm -hmm. And so for, for me, those two things actually, they serve a purpose and a value for that culture. Um, and, you know, like I think I said before, I'm Indian, so I don't care. If somebody's got like a great take and from an outside lens and they've spent a lot of time in that culture, if it's a great piece of literature, I'd be happy to leave. And then a final note, my son's in first grade, and so when he's in like sixth, seventh grade, I'd love for him to be able to read a book like Alicia's book, and hopefully Alicia's book will be out. There will be no issues with publishing that, and I'd love for my son to read it at some point. So I'd love to yeah. read it too. You know? Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. So, anyways, so just kind of <laughs> wrapping up the the, the whole podcast. Uh, obviously, great storytelling from Alicia, just on the whole journey that she's had post Peace Corps, kind of taking us back to various points in history. Uh, it was a, just a lovely conversation, um, and oh, uh, yeah. so awesome. So, any 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 final thoughts, Jason, before we kind of finish up the podcast here? It kind of brings us back to art it's a good way to end it that alicia is expressing her artistic self through this book and bolivia is the setting and that's obviously what's pulling us all together here in this podcast and hopefully some of our uh, b12 b volunteer uh listeners <laughs> so um, let's all keep an eye out for that it definitely so yeah this is uh, so signing off here and to reach out if you want to share anything with us and we'll be talking to you guys soon and, uh, thank you You've been listening to the Bolivia 12 podcast, produced by Samir Saluja and Jason Phillips in honor of all of our Bolivian friends and all returned Peace Corps volunteers that served in Bolivia. If you would like to be a part of one of our future episodes, please reach out.